Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, in celebration, actually, this week on the show, in celebration of the week that was supposed to be 2020 Mania Week, I have not one, not two, but a full three-count of punk wrestling connection episodes to get to. Starting off today with one of the most exciting forces of nature on the independent wrestling scene today, Effie is my guest on the show. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page and an Instagram page, and all those are run by my brother and show producer, and not the biggest wrestling fan, Tristan Abraham. Don't worry, Tristan, we'll get back to to some non-wrestling guests next week, but this is my week. This is where I'm going to be... uh, booking this whole thing out <laughs> this week. Uh, if you would like to support the show, the best way of supporting the show is by telling all your friends about it. If you use iTunes, write a review for it, rate it. If you use another podcast platform where you can do that, do that there. Uh, but, you know, just just tell your friends. And also, we have a Patreon page. Huge, huge thank you to all the Patreon people that are supporting the show. You can head on over there and check it out. And uh, also... This show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came on board a couple years ago and said, don't do this out of your pocket anymore. We're going to help you out, and I, I really appreciate it. So thank you very much to them for their support of this thing. And uh, I think – oh, and if you want to find me, I'm on social media, at Left for Damien. So anyway, this week on the show, I originally thought this would be like a really cool thing going into WrestleMania weekend – you have all these guests, you know, on the show that I've been wanting to get on. But then the world changed and now things are going to be different. But there's still amazing wrestling out there for you to check out. And now's a great time, if you were a Laps fan, to, to come back in and rediscover. Because this is this art form that in times of crisis, in times of struggle, uh, you know, it, it provides an escape. And that's 
that's not just true now, it's true throughout history. Um, but anyway, let's move on to what could have been, what should have been. This week should have been Effie's big gay brunch party. And the event itself is just postponed. It's going to be coming back. But uh, this was going to be a, I don't know, one of my most anticipated events this year at WrestleMania weekend. And for those of you who don't know, WrestleMania is WWE's big show. It's like their Super Bowl type event. And it's still going on. It's going to be two days this year on, on I think, Friday and Saturday. Um, you know, it's, it's very different now, obviously it's not going to be the giant stadium spectacle that it normally is, but they're still doing it. Uh, however, in previous years around WrestleMania has sprung up this kind of, um, almost like South by Southwest of pro wrestling where all these independent companies and, and some not so independent companies from literally all over the world at this point come in and they run shows for, for fans that have come to town for WrestleMania and actually increasingly fans that just come to town for this kind of festival week that surrounds WrestleMania. Uh, that is not happening this year. Um, as you are all, all too aware at this point, uh, you cannot have those kinds of gatherings. So Effie's brunch has had to be postponed, but Effie's big gay brunch, uh, I believe was going to be the first, you know, LGBTQ2 focused event or allies as well, focused event. And there was some incredible matches scheduled, some incredible talent that was being brought in. Uh, and I can't wait for this thing to get rescheduled. So hopefully I can get down there and see it because it, it, it it's something special. It would have been something really, really, really special. And it will be something really, really special when it finally does happen. Because I think Anyone that's watched wrestling is aware that it doesn't necessarily have the best history with dealing with LGBTQ to issues and people. All you have to do is think about horrible stereotypes that have been presented in the ring in major companies and minor companies. You can look at things that still go on in, in major and minor companies that don't necessarily reflect a tolerant worldview and accepting worldview uh and at this point like a decent worldview so for effie to be able to put together this event and have it be met with such anticipation i i hope i think really signals the shift that's happened and is happening within pro wrestling and we talk about this during the show but um i just kind of wanted to set up for the people that aren't fans that this is a very, very interesting time in pro wrestling outside of the very, very interesting time that surrounds everything in this world now. But, you know, where we're seeing a shift happen and we're seeing a, a rise of a new fan base and it's being met with resistance from an old fan base. And, oh, anyway, I'm going to be talking about this stuff all week. But back to Effie before we go on to the show. Effie was someone that I first met going to a, a random Florida indie show while we were filming the TV show The Wrestlers. And I first met him and saw him wrestle in front of this crowd that was not the most aware crowd uh, of of or maybe they aware is the wrong word. Accepting crowd, uh, tolerant crowd, uh there's a lot of words you could probably put in there. Uh, but 
Effie went out there and stole the show and wrestled in a way that I've never seen anyone wrestle. And since then, to watch, this was like over two years ago now, to watch him grow into this star, into this force in wrestling has been really, really inspiring. So I, I've asked Effie to come on forever ago, and finally we've made it happen, and uh, I couldn't be more happy about it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Effie on Turn Down a Punk. Effie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am 100% super excited. I'm trying not to show you how excited I am, but it's like I'm really pumped to be on the show and talk with you and just be able to have a weird exploratory conversation. Well, I'm I'm equally as pumped on my end as well. Like this is, you know, we were just talking off air. Like I met you two and a half years ago, I guess it was two plus. Yeah, years weird ago. random chance. A weird random chance. And like since then, to kind of watch the world take notice of the brilliance that is Effie has been awesome. And to secretly know this punk rock past is there as well has been even more joyous for me. Dirty, grungy, punk rock past. Of course, it it builds character. Exactly. Well, I got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is, Effie, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, I I got into punk because I was mad at my my parents and mad at church and being a normal teenager, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I was listening to punk music before, you know, like I even started playing in bands or playing things. I'd been playing viola since I was like in fifth grade. Okay. I was playing in the youth group bands. I was, um, playing inside youth group bands. Like, you know, like we'd jam them out, play with, play like that. But then you, you sort of start letting all these things creep into your life and you do start feeling those punk influences and you feel that like, let me fight against things a little bit. Let me push back. And that's when it happens when you're, when you're riding against that grain. So yeah, like what you mentioned playing the viola, um, you know, in fifth grade, did you grow up in a house, obviously from what you're saying, religious house, but was it a musical house? Um, I, yeah, my mother was always a church singer. My grandfather actually has a dove award. I think he actually also has a Grammy award in some what? form or fashion for religious music. Like it's not the Grammy they do on the air. Yeah. yeah. But like it's definitely like he has a Grammy. He was in this giant men's gospel choir. And so like there was always music in the house at all times. Um, you don't find out how weird or strange or out of control your parents' music you know, choices are until way later in life. I think everybody deals with that. So it was just like, I just thought everybody was listening to like female vocal soft rock everywhere. <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah. How'd you, where'd you, how'd you get into rock and roll music or a lot, not rock and roll music, but I guess more, uh, secular music. Um, I think you, you start sneaking CDs from the library. That's like my earliest memory is having a PC and then going to the library and they would just have like rows of CDs and you could just be like, well, what, what is David Bowie? What, you know, what, what are these things? What can I grab at the library that's available free of charge and then rip to my computer and put on some weird little, uh, like bootleg MP3 player, you know, <laughs> it was, that was the free music. I didn't, I couldn't figure out the Kazaz and the Napsters and the, and the stuff like that. And I wouldn't know what to search for anyway, but that was like, it was almost like my own record store library out, out of a, a real library, a book library. So were were your parents anti like you having this music? Like was it something you had to actually like sneak in? Well, they're both like they're both preachers kids. So it wasn't even so much like 
oh, you really can't have this. It was just like, these are, these are not the rules we know. Okay. Um, I don't think you should do that. My dad actually, uh, one of the earliest memories I really like put on bringing some weird music home. He, I'd made him go buy me the system of a down CD okay. when it, when it came out. And because he worked near the circuit city, I was like, if you go to circuit city, you get the t-shirt packet <laughs> that comes with the t-shirt and the album. He was like, all right, I'll go get it. I, I told him what the information was. He came back and he was like, this is satanic. This is, this is the dark Lord's work. Like this is infecting you. What's going on here? What are you doing? What, what path are you on? You know? So it was like, it was this weird um, thing where like they started figuring it out and there was a lot of like praying over me a little bit, but it was just, you can also like looking back now as a grown adult, my parents having children in, in their twenties, getting married when they were like 21, they didn't have like time to just go out and explore the world or they chose not to in that way. Yeah. So they just couldn't comprehend it. It wasn't even like, Oh, we're, we're really totally against this. And they have grown so much since then. But (laughs) being there at that time, it was just like, what do we even do? We've never even faced this. (laughs) We grew up in super religious households that grew up in super religious households. We've never even dealt with this before. How do we even punish this thing? You know, I'm sure I was a total shithead. In a lot of ways, but it was me just kind of being like, yo, guys, I'm kind of a, just a weirdo. Can you just let me do it? So what were you finding out about, like, you know, System of the Down and these bands? Like, were you like radio or MTV? Um, yeah, probably radio, probably MTV, probably even like weird search engines at the time. I just mm-hmm. like we, we had a computer in the house pretty early on. Um, I'm 29 years old, so I feel like I've had computers in my life a long time, like since at least the late nineties. Right. Like yeah. that's pretty normal. Well, you're the generation I think that had the computers the whole, your whole life. Right. Like that's the, yeah, defines yeah the generation. definitely. I mean, I can't really figure out a time when I didn't have some sort of computer around and my parents didn't know what they were doing with computers. It was just like, <laughs> Oh, this is the thing that you're supposed to have. You can play solitaire and do word processing, get anarchy, do your files, bills, I guess, make bombs, you <laughs> do all sorts of yeah. crazy things with this thing. And so like I would get on there and I was like, you know, I'm built into the technology you can do whatever you want. You can search for whatever you want. They're not going to have any idea what's going on. Yeah. So you can just you can just find anything that you can find. And obviously, once you start getting into school, especially public school, you're in those influences where people are cool or rebellious or had older siblings who knew about stuff or things. And you kind of sneak it in with the fr- friend group, too, mm-hmm. which that concerns your parents as well. When you start hanging out with people and they're like, we know these people are bad news. And I'm like, you might be right, but it's really fun. Were there, were there like any other kids in your like youth group that were also kind of going down different paths at this point that you were with, or were you kind of on your own journey? Yeah. I think there's, there's like a certain age where like, uh, you start making eye contact with people during situations where you can kind of figure out that they're like, Hey, this is kind of not it, is it? (laughs) And they sort of have that, uh, that moment with you and you're sort of growing. I mean, just having a good friend group like that around where like, Obviously, some people are never going to leave this situation. This is what they do. Like, you have to come to peace. These people are going to love this their whole life. Mm -hmm. But we kind of make that eye contact and go, we should probably go get drunk and do crazy things, you know? (laughs) Well, like, there's also, like, that around that time, like, that tooth and nail record stuff was all going too, right? Oh, yeah. And, like, going to those warp tours and just getting wild wrecked, (laughs) dancing around with all that... uh, ridiculous scene kid hair, you know, Yeah, that kind of stuff. That was was a a hearty journey. So yeah. where did you go? Like, you know, from there, like when you started going, getting into this band and the, this music more, were you going to like concerts or shows? Like what was your first show? Um, 
God, what was my first show? I think my mom took me. My mom was definitely the first one that was like, we should probably see what this kid's doing because he's he's kind of crazy, but he's <laughs> figuring things out. Yeah. So she would like kind of accompany me to things. Um, I can't. I honestly, the very first concert I ever went to was a. Have you ever heard of Carmen, the Christian artist? No, Carmen. Okay, this is not punk at all, but okay. this is like my earliest concert memory. And it's very pro wrestling now that I think about it and may have influenced me more than I thought. Carmen is this like intense operatic rock and roll Christian singer. Okay. And he has these stage shows. Like all his songs are like these over the top meatloaf esque like Christian tales. And he like has actors on stage with him and he's like screaming and getting intense. And there's guitar solos and it's wild and there's fog machines. That was my first concert experience. But I can remember going to – I can't even remember the name of the band. My mom took me to a show in Atlanta, which was a two-hour drive at the time from where we were living. And it was like me and three of my friends. And it was you know, it was some freaking weird scene band. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. And she waited you know, at a Barnes & Noble while we went to this show <laughs> yeah. and then drove us back from Atlanta and was just like, how was everything? We were like, it was great. And what a time. And we went home. So – probably more supportive than I thought. Yeah. What were like some of the bands at the time that you like, you know, you were getting into like, so, you know, some of the scene bands even. Oh God. I remember a lot of those. What were those scene bands? I mean, like my musical taste is just like, it's completely randomized and all over the place. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm into ABBA as much as I'm into like some 41, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of any, but I don't even know <laughs> you're, you're catching me off guard here. We're also getting into wrestling at the same time. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was always watching wrestling. Um, I mean, I would say my stronger punk influences started happening when I like got to college, got away from sort of being in the same hometown place and just kind of being away because that's when like I was playing in bands that were weird rap punk crossovers i was playing in bands that were regular weird punk music with more of a like they might be giants strange influence you know and being out at those shows and playing with you know other weird bands was a crazy weird time fun time what what so what were you playing in these bands obviously not viola right no i mean mostly guitar i would say um when i was when i was a I call it a hip hop punk rocker because I was just making weird rap songs with my friends mm-hmm. and then having guitars and uh, drums and bass players over it, you know? And that was, it was punk because it was just me screaming a lot and getting in people's faces, doing these weird punky hip hop shows and freaking out on people and just like pushing their limits and seeing what people could handle in a weird party kind of setting. Well, also, like you talked about, like with the technology and, and, you know, the, the music, the way genre was breaking down, like rapidly by the end of the nineties, you know, in the, in the early two thousands. And now we look at bands today, like, you know, an artist like Ghost Mane, where it, it is, you know, or, or even like a, an artist like uh, Juice World, who's referencing emo music. Like it's really, you get to see how like, yeah, the worlds are, it's not as stratified as it used to be. Um, this is going to sound like it's coming from a random place, but I don't think it really is. Disney, when they started, was like animating old songs to animation and like blending these things together and telling a story over these like kind of public domain songs. Okay, when they were doing their most early animations. And to me, 
Disney playing this big copyright game nowadays of like we own everything and we have to buy everything up is crazy because they started as sort of like public this endeavor yeah. of like we're going to fuck with public domain stuff and make it look crazy. And now it feels like no matter what the copyright laws are right now or whatever that is, there's this movement of like all sound is usable. And mm. because of that, there's so much strange crossover in not even genre, but just like sound in general that's made itself possible because of the weird technology that we're able to just slap whatever from whatever together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's like this almost democratization of sound that's happened because of that too, where all sound have being able to be used, all sound is equal value. So all music then is of equal value and you can kind of pick and choose and, and you don't have to wait it anymore and be like, Oh no, I don't, I don't know if that really applies to what I'm doing. Yeah. There's no way I could ever listen to as many songs as there are and are being created, but like, no, oh, no, it's, it's all out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, there's hundreds of probably thousands of millions of hours of sounds I'll never hear, you know? Except today I looked for three artists on streaming services and they were not there in a row. Who? Uh, Ceramic Hello, uh, the, this band, uh, um, Gizm and, uh, who was the third? It was a third band, but Ceramic Hello was on there as of two days ago. And they okay, now, I'm going to be honest. Are these still active bands? Are these bands that are active right now? Uh, long gone. Gizem's kind of active. Long gone. Yeah. Okay. Ceramic How Hello, hard is it to get this stuff on streaming services? Well, Ceramic Hello was on a streaming service. Like, as of, like, two days ago, I was, like, listening to it. I even put, like, a, a shot of the song on, on my, like, story on Instagram. And I went on today, and I don't know what happened, but they've, they've taken the whole catalog off, off Spotify. Spotify does that. They're just, I think there's something weird going on with all the weird royalties that they're not paying to anybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, should I feel guilty about my Spotify subscription? Should I just not like PayPal well, bands directly? But they like, you know, like, you know, obviously like, you know, like bands will get paid off Spotify. But like when I hear bands complaining about it, it's like, when was the last time that you went to a record store and paid full price for a new album? Like people don't do it anymore. And like people were they just- don't. You know, like Spotify, at least you get something. Like, I, I know this sounds completely defeatist, but at the it's same not defeatist. It's an economy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like we're, we're I think wrestling's going. exactly the same. Nobody's paying to watch my matches. You're going to see my match. I mean, they're paying to show up if they want to get the live experience, right? Mm -hmm. But like, my hope right now is like YouTube the shit out of my match and watch them as much as you want. Get, get that exposure out there wherever they are. And that should be like everybody's look. And it's the same with music of like, yo, just let them hear the music and get wild and sell your live events and sell your crazy merchandise and license the fuck out of it. And let's do this together. You can like, it sounds really capitalistic, but it's sort of its own crowdsourcing thing of like, yo, if you guys are really into this, I'll keep doing this. Let's make it happen. But not being stuck on, I have to get these, these exact album sales, you have to pay for the actual wrestling itself. There's a whole nother way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's totally now, you know, wrestling I think is, is, is the perfect model, the new model. Like the idea that, you know, you're basically looking for patrons. You're looking for a bunch of people all over the world that are going to support your art, you know, and, and pay you to do your art and to bring them in. You're going to have gifts or you're going to have your songs out there for free, basically. But when yeah. you're, you're just trying to convert out of that 2,000 people that might click on it, you want to get three of them to become paying fans. Oof. But, oh Yeah. 
It's a weird world. Back to the. This back. is real math, man. No, I love this. This is great talk. <laughs> back, back to uh, the college journey. So, where did you go to college? I went to the University of South Carolina. I'm a gamecock. Okay. Um, I accidentally. I didn't. I picked international studies as my major. I really didn't give a shit in college. I'm going to be honest. I ended up just being a PR major after picking a weird major for whatever reason. I thought I had a minor in one thing. I ended up with a minor in another thing. I took like double minors and I do have a minor in African-American studies. So that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then I left and I was just fucked up. I'd been anytime I was in school, you're out, you know, traveling, playing with weird bands, managing weird bands, staying in weird, ho- you know, hotels on the side of the road or people's houses, just kind of living this like Hey, let's do anything we want life during that period. We're like, yeah, I'm going to class, but I'm drinking a lot and smoking a lot and doing whatever comes along and getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, like it must've been also very different. I would imagine from what your high school experience had been growing up with kind of like restrictive religious parents. Yeah. Yeah. But I think towards the end there, I was already like, let me get out of here. Let me yeah. like do this thing. I remember telling my dad one time, I was like, listen, I'll go do whatever I want. I'm going to make, I'm going to make big money. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to go to any concert I want, go to any show I want. <laughs> and then you kind of get there and you're like, damn, I did it. Better call my dad and tell him I love him. You know? Yeah. Like I accomplished all that. Now I'm completely, you know, financially independent. What is it? What does it mean? Is it cool? Yeah, it can be if you want it to be. Well, like, and what was your plan? Like, were you, were you thinking like, I'm going to go into music or was, you know? Oh, definitely. You know, I remember my guitar teacher, I took guitar lessons in middle school. He was like, you know, your first band isn't in. So, you know, you're playing a band two, three, four, and you're like, all right, well, this one's going to be smashing it. Mm -hmm. And then you get out and you sort of like, after college, I was working a regular job. I had moved out of state to Florida. You're sitting in, you know, your new place and you've got all your instruments. You've got a keyboard if you want it. You have a weird accordion for some reason. You've got your <laughs> viola. You've got, you know, microphones. You've got stuff. Like you could sit here and make music. You could be the Arcade just, Fire. Yeah, just do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Figure it out. Find a live band down the line. You'll sell out an arena. Who cares? Yeah. And <laughs> but you just sit there and you're like, you end up just smoking weed too much or, or drinking too much. And I was never getting anything done with it. It was like. At that time in my life, I thought, oh, man, music, music, music. And then I just kind of fell off to like, I'm just going to get drunk and go to work, you know? Mm -hmm. So when did wrestling kind of become something that was going to be, you know, well, even like something in the background for you? Um, I I mean, I tripped into it after I got sober and it, it became full force because it was like it was something that I was like, oh, crap, I can take the skills I learned from touring with music. I can take the skills I learned from playing with bands, from being around bands, from merchandising with bands, you know, from knowing how music business works a little bit. I can take all of these skills. I can take this PR degree that I have slept through, but was pretty good at because I can bullshit well and then use that together. And it was like every single weekend I was just getting out to as many shows as I could. Yeah. And you know, I'm used to driving through the night. I'm used to being out super late. I'm used to being around crazy people. It all was like everything had finally meshed into a thing. I was like, I think I found the thing. You know, music was part of the thing, but I don't think it was the thing. Yeah. And I feel like this kind of combines all of it. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it you know, like it's, it, it's also an individual thing. Like you're saying, like, it's all on you. Like you don't have to find that band later on to play. Yeah, dude, your drummer's not going to quit or like. Oh, he snorted too many pills. He can't get to the show. Like <laughs> yeah. it, that's not going to happen because it's just me. I'm relying on me. 
yeah. my car might break down, you know, but you're not going to, you're not stuck with another person going, Oh man, shit. Is he going to be ready for this? He's really been drinking. We, they got to play in an hour. What are we doing? So did you kind of uh, like when you, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, you're good. Cut me off. When, when, so when you did get sober, did you kind of like leave music behind as part of that? Or did you still play a little bit? I didn't, I didn't, I haven't played since then. Wow. Yeah. It just like, it's, Wrestling is literally my energy, and that's how I know it's the thing I need to be doing mm-hmm. because I I don't mind sinking myself 100% into it. And, like, you know, like, there's the sacrifices you make. Like, I enjoy all the sacrifices I made in music, and I might go back and find music again one day with a better budget and, like, building a studio in my home and being able to sit down and do that. But right now it's like, yo, I, I've got to do this wrestling. Like, I'm, I'm, I can't not do it. Mm-hmm. I can't not expend all my energy into it, you know? Well, like in looking at wrestling, like who were some of your heroes? Like what made you think that this was something you wanted to go into? I think the first time I ever actually went to a wrestling show was on a Marine base. And it was like a super indie show at a fair. Okay. And it equated to me as the same thing as WCW, WWF, the NWO. It was just wrestling. Like it was all they're on TV or they're not on TV. But to me, it didn't, it didn't seem like a thing where it was like, you know, like you see a band play in a hundred capacity building and then you see them play in a 5,000 seat arena and you can see that growth normally through music. But I didn't understand that there was that same sort of process for wrestling. I just thought there were wrestling shows. If you're in the WWF, if you're in the WCW, you were just TV stars, you were mythical characters, you were found somewhere. It's just like how TV just kind of exists in that box. And these people just exist on the stage. There's not a journey, you know, through the smaller stages. I didn't make sense to me that way. Mm-hmm. So, then afterwards, like through college, we started taking torrents. We started stealing footage, um, mostly because we were getting stoned and like laughing at these old pay-per-views. Yeah. But as you start getting through those, you see like, you know, Japanese explosion death match. You see crazy hardcore wrestling. You see all these things and you go, hold up. What are the who are these people and what are they doing? And is this happening all over the place? And you sort of find out there really is this network. And I hadn't thought about it. You know, I was a wrestling fan for a long time growing up all the way through probably slipped a little in high school everybody does um but getting up to that point where when it all finally clicked of like you need to be a wrestler and there is a real way to do this it was it was magic so when you started getting into wrestling were you was how did you get into it like was it like was there a local promotion that you found or did you just kind of then decide to search out like where am i going to learn this craft or like what was your process from going from someone just watching these tapes to getting into it? Uh, getting like actually into training and like actually starting. Well, yeah. Like I, I had, mean, or, or even like, even just kind of like, you know, like, you know, you're, you're seeing these clips online. Like, was there like a local promotion running at that point that you were going to, or was it, did you go right from. So know? when I moved, yeah. When I moved to Florida, I started going to smaller indie shows and like it started with like NXT used to house show loop up in the Northern panhandle and like weird middle school gyms before it was like super cool NXT. So I would go out to these shows when I got to Florida, I wasn't, I wasn't going to as many small indie shows when I was anywhere before that. So it started kind of when I got to Florida after college, Mm -hmm. uh, seeing these people work and thinking to myself like, okay, 
if you if you could even just like run the ropes or even like bump and see if it would feel real, let's do it. So, but this happened, and then I got sober, and I was like, oh, this is actually a real thing. I need to go put my put myself into. And I had met back up with a guy I just met at one of the NXT shows who kept telling me he was a wrestler. And I figured it would be just like a small thing for a second. Like, well, you're at least trying it. Like, just do it. Obviously, there there could be a glass ceiling there to get through. Who knows what that is? Just go do at least a show. Try it out. And I I found this dude, White Trash Fred, who gave me a follow your dreams 8 by 10 I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah. It's in the bedroom um, <laughs> and said, follow your dreams. I was just like, whatever, dude, this guy's country. He's backwoods. He's got a ring in his yard. He knows a bunch of promoters in the South in the area. Let's go for it. And I like having been to a Florida indie show, Florida wrestling is, is it's such a diverse thing where like on one level you have NXT and like two, two towns over or one town over, or even in the same town, you've got like, a really tiny, as you're saying, backwoods kind of legit Central Florida kind of promotion running. Yeah, and there's a lot of like these weird tryout vanity looking shows. Okay, where like they're sold and you can buy tickets and you can go to them and people do. And there's you know obviously a small group of people, but it's like very clear that these are almost just like showcase shows so they can get clean footage for people. You know, it doesn't matter if there's 20 people there. It doesn't matter if there's 10 people there. We just, like, we need clean match footage. Okay. And so having those shows existing, like, in between, and all the posters look the same, and everything starts to look super Florida, everything together, you can't tell what shows are going to be, like, drawing a bunch of fans and really bringing people in, and what are going to be, like, this is a weird footage showcase thing. And you start to figure it out, and you're like, what a strange network down here in Florida yeah. that's just sort of, like, fed out from that weird Orlando um, you know, performance area center. And it used to be TNA was down there too. And like Orlando's always had that there's wrestling money in Orlando. Everybody thinks so. And so they all sort of parasite around that general area, you know? Well, there's also that thing about Florida having been like, you know, there's more scams per capita than anywhere else in the world. Like it's like all the call centers were out of Florida, all the pill mills that opened up in Florida at different times. Like it just feels like wrestling with the kind of, uh, you know, like outlaw kind of stuff that happens within it, like not outlaw, but like sort of like the subterfuge that exists within wrestling. It's perfect for Florida. Like that's, I, that's a state for it. I don't, I don't think outlaw is even a bad word for, it. I think there's some <laughs> real outlaw shit in Florida, <laughs> like heavily. And sometimes you'll do a show and you'll be like, who's funding this and why is this happening and what's going on? Are we on a weird druggy write off? Why, who is, who's this guy with the Rolex? <laughs> You know, like, why are we in a barn and there's a lot of money on the line here? It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff that we'll never understand. Maybe, and hopefully we can understand it because I think we were discussing this a little bit earlier. There's people hiding behind these, these shadowy projects and, uh, hiding it behind entertainment and fun that are doing some really shady shit, especially in Florida. And it's, it's a crazy weird network to navigate, to know, like, who am I working with? Who are these people? Who's there? And you got to keep a close watch with with people if you're going to do it. I don't even really work that many Florida shows anymore. Just, that's about it. Well, it's funny because like when I was filming with the crew on that show, and we had been we had been not around the world by that point, but we went to Mexico for wrestling. We had been up along the East Coast for wrestling, so they had been exposed to a range of shows. And before we got to Florida, I'm like, just so you guys know, it's going to be a little different here. <laughs> like these shows. <laughs> it's, it, 
it's not going to be like an evolved show in in Brooklyn. It's going to be a, a kind of no, different no. vibe. <laughs> it's a very different vibe. Well, even like even doing those uh, the FIP shows that they do in Florida that are sort of like they're supposed to be the evolved feeder system. <laughs> Um, but they brought him in a bar and it's all like, it's not wrestling fans that go. It's like just drunk people and a couple wrestling fans. It's a weird mix. Yeah. And so like, I would go and like, know that we're in a, we're in a bar. I'm just going to be a party bar wrestler tonight and just be ridiculous and wild. And it would get super crazy over and they would love it. Cause they're all just drunk people there, but they wouldn't always understand these intense storylines with all the belts and all the drama. <laughs> and you're going, guys, we're in a fucking bar in Tampa. These people just want to get rowdy. Like, don't overthink this or book a different venue because I'm going to just go get rowdy with these people. Oh yeah. No, I remember uh, buying an FIP video and all of a sudden they're wrestling in the strip club next door. Oh and yeah. Like this is, this is a different kind of wrestling down there. But, like, and it's once again, like this is the time when it's the ROH feeder system and it just is, couldn't be further from the other world. But once again, it's Florida. It's Florida, man. And that's the thing, dude, I'm like, I'm nervous about WrestleMania week because it's going to be very Florida. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't think people understand what they're getting into. It's like 90,000 people coming to Tampa. It is going to be a disaster of, <laughs> of a mess. I think there's just going to be too many arrests that whole week and maybe for the best. Ybor City is going to be burnt to the ground burnt to the damn ground (laughs) there's no way these people are ready for i mean i guess they deal with some crazy stuff in tampa though but this is this seems aggressive what's happening this year well but it's funny because um you know punk rock bowling was the same weekend as um double or nothing in vegas yeah and it was amazing how much wilder the punk rock bowling hotel was than the double or nothing. Like everyone at the double or nothing. Like, I mean, the wrestlers are, are crazy. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. The fans are, it was just like very sedate. Like the fans, like a bunch of guys walking around with replica titles, but everyone was very calm. Whereas the punk rock bowling and it's hotel. Vegas, oof. Vegas too. That's wild. That's what we got to get them. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're not rowdy enough. I don't know. I'm, I feel like we should at least field caution going into this Florida situation because, I mean, let's prepare for the worst. Let's really batten down the hatches and make sure we know what we're doing, yeah. bringing these many people to Florida. Um, and then if it's great and pleasant and quiet, I'm for it. Well, yeah, because I, I think I'm more worried about those people being exposed to the Florida people. Like, oh. that, that's like we're throwing a bunch of chum into the shark tank. Oh, yeah. They did Orlando, but that's a little more Disney-fied, so like, they could kind of hide away in that one corner. But this <laughs> yeah. is like hardcore tan like there's chickens down there guys there's chickens there's uh street performers yep. that yep. you know it, it's it's a mess it's like ybor city kind of has a Times square in like 1984 vibe to it it's yeah and it's very like the worst part of key west you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it just reads as awful key west we went uh once again we we're shooting down there with i think with Darby Allen and he wanted to go skateboard around there. He's like, I like just hanging out here with all the people around here. And it was, it was real weird. It was a real <laughs> weird trip. I know. I mean, I can picture him doing that. I, I remember Darby invited us out to go to the goth vampire, uh, club, uh, <laughs> after an FIP show. And I, I did not go. Pero did go. Pero said it was an excellent time. <laughs> Yeah, he was but, like, we're going, yeah, we're going to the goth, the goth strip club, the goth, not strip club, the goth, uh, techno dance, weird goth club vampires are going to be there. I was like, I can't, I got to go home, man. 
See, the personality, I can't do this. The personalities in wrestling are so much more exciting and interesting now in this era. Like, you know, like there were a couple people that were weird like that back in the day, but now there's like, yeah, but I don't think we heard all of it. That's you true. Know? I think there was, I was thinking the other day, this is a crazy, horrible thought to have, but like if you were a top dog or even just a mid card dude rocking territories through the seventies and you're just town to town every night, you're not ever using your real name. You could really pull off some serial killing. Oh, the technology's my, yeah. too good now, but man, you're just in a different, horrible bunk hotel every night, just like paid only in cash, disappearing. What what a what did we miss? You know, yeah. is there stuff that we need to go back and look at? Well, you know, like and not to switch it to a too dark conversation, but we yeah, we all know there are, are things that were missed. Like there were people in big big promotions that have now been exposed as being getting away with murder. Yeah, then. really getting away with actual murder, actual and murder. it's it's nuts. And the system has not only like allowed them to continue existing, but also like has celebrated them because yeah. like how how else could we rub it in your face better than it's like it's fine here, don't ask questions. Yeah, yeah. What what well, kind of business model is this? And it's the same in music too, right? There's like so many rock and roll legends that are, you know, like maybe they weren't serial killers, but they certainly weren't great people. And it's like, yeah, the stories don't fully all add up, no, you know, no. And it, it, you know, musicians get a pass. So in some cases, and so I guess wrestlers also some cases get a pass as well. It's good. This conversation. Got yeah, what was your first band? No, called? I mean, it just got real, man. It <laughs> got, real, got real. got way too real. Turned out a punk is meant to be the fantasy world where we just talk about things in, in a, in a, you know, it, it gets real on here sometimes, but I'm always like, oh, this is meant to be the one place where. It never gets too real because we all know how really real it is right now. Yeah, percentage of fantasy. Sometimes you can just you can just use the parts you need. <laughs> yeah, totally. What, what what was your first band called? Oh man, my fr- the very first. Oh man, hold up. Backside forward. Backside forward. <laughs> I had to really think about it for a second, and there was one time where like they had a, there was a record contest and we were like, we, we gotta, we gotta Christian up the band a little bit. <laughs> and so we like rewrote some of the songs so we could try out. Cause we were like, if we can just like knock this off and get these sweet opener gigs on weird church tours. Like, did you ever, have you ever seen those like church band arena tours? Well, I know about Cornerstone festival and I know like, yeah, there's, yeah, it was kind of like that. These were like tour. These would tour through with like, you know, they were almost like, um, not kids bops versions, but like they would take whatever was kind of getting hot on the radio at the time. And they would be like, this is you guys. Now it's about praise him. Um, and just like kind of mimic melodies and mimic the guitars and mimic boy band looks and mimic like, you know, all the types of bands that you could mimic and then tour it as like a Christian thing. And then you would get youth groups to go at like 200, 300 a piece, you know, maybe your youth group is a little smaller, but it's like, Hey, you guys should come. This is a Christian concert. It's good. You can bring the kids. So they end up, you know, busting all these youth group kids in these like kind of handpicked weird, uh, sanitary punk shows. <laughs> wow. <laughs> With special effects and rock and roll. So it wouldn't be like, it would be more like a, a performing cast than it would be actual bands. No, I mean, I think they were like bands, but this was definitely like, this was the, the tour. This was the gig, yeah. you know? I, um, yeah, there was, there was definitely, that went on for a while. It may still go on, man. This may be going on under our noses. Oh, I'm sure. Just, like it's like a parallel music universe. Yeah. You can, I mean, back when we were talking about the music sounds, everybody owns the sounds of democracy of sounds. They're just like, look, we can't have yellow card in here, but you guys could play a yellow card esque song. <laughs> 
Uh, Worship him, praise him, keep it nice, and it's all about respect, okay? And then the kids go wild, you know? Yeah, when when Julian Baker was on the show, she was saying that it's – yeah, there's like, like you know, there's all these the tooth and nail bands, like this whole like there's like a copy of almost every sound out there, but it's like the Christian version of. Oh yeah. You need that. You need those yeah. alternative options because the parents are the kids are gonna want some kind of C D. They're gonna want something. <laughs> and it's like they can't tell the difference, you know? Yeah. It's like when my mom first tricked my dad into eating turkey in the in the spaghetti sauce. <laughs> You just don't, guys. Don't say anything. We love this song. We, this is one of the best songs. What a catchy song, guys! Praise him. <laughs> Have you heard of the band, The Lifesavers? No, they sound very sweet. They're like, I think they're like the Christian Ramones. Oh what, my God! Explain to me. They were like a, the and the lead singer, main songwriter, and it's like a, you know, like once again, like a, you know, like an Elvis Costello type figure where he's done tons of solo records and stuff like that. But I've. I've picked up a bunch of their records over the years and I, now I'm like trying to find them. And there's some that go for like a ton of money. Yeah. Um, really? I'm obsessed there's like, with this band. Th- there's like a secret deep fan base of, of the Lifesavers. I think there Do is. Do they still live? I, I think the one dude still does. I think he's got like other bands. Because I, I, my friend's friend actually brought him here to play a church like 15 years ago. To, to do a show in the basement because he's like that kind of legend. Like it was like, oh, the dude from Lifesavers. But I wasn't hip to them at that time, so I didn't go to the show. Yeah, but, you were like, oh, this is a must-see. No, but now I would be there with my, all my copies of their records to get autographed. Yeah, first became, in line. Oh, then they became the Altar Boys afterwards? That sounds darker. That sounds like it's hinting at something. Yeah. Yeah, there's a punk it's band actually. A cover up. Well, here it all comes back. Jeff Cannonball is in a band called the Altar Boys too. That's not a Christian wow. band. That's like a punk band. Oh, do they wear the the full Altar Boy costumes when they perform? Because I'd be really into that. I think the Christian band might have, but definitely not the Jeff Cannonball band. Oh man, <laughs> we we need that. We need all of that. Um, can I tell you a really strange Christian music story before we get off this topic? Oh, 100%. Because as you were saying it, I was thinking about this experience. I have. This was probably – this was later on. I must have been in college during this time. We went to a show. It was like our friend's band's last show. They were a really heavy spoken word. You know I live like this. Like just very on the floor. It was you know dense. We were really feeling it. It was poetic. So they had this band that was touring come through, play before them. And they were called Grave Robber. And have you ever heard of Grave Robber? I hope you haven't. No. Okay, so Grave Robber is Christian Guar. What? Yeah. (laughs) That is incredible. You've sold me. There's like probably 200 kids in here. And they're all here to see this closing band. It's their last show. They released a record. They're like, we're done with this. You know, they did a lot in the South Carolina hardcore scene. I can't remember their name. Doesn't matter. Um, But this band was like, we're touring through and they put them on the stage and they were like, we're playing semi. They had all this giant stuff on the stage, these giant skull figures, crazy (laughs) stuff. They come out in costumes. There's like six people there to see them that are super (laughs) hardcore grave robber fans. Okay. Super hardcore. The rest of us are like, what the fuck is happening? And they start playing these songs about Jesus being reanimated. And he was, you know, this undead zombie. And he came back to, you know, sacrifice himself for us. This crazy, like heavy power punk weird shit coming out are they just fucking with people are they actually serious no dude they hardcore are serious about it but here's where it gets weird here's where it will never be explained and here's where you're gonna think i'm making it up because everybody thinks i'm making this story up i can have people verify it 
he stops in the middle of the set and he says, who's ready for the contest? And the people who are there to see them are very excited. And he pulls out a can of beans and he says, whoever can eat the grave robber beans before we finish the song gets a free T-shirt. And a girl went up there and I'm watching this fucking giant demon Lord worshiping creatures play power metal and she's chugging these beans down, scarfing them down and she finishes the beans. They gave her a shirt and everybody cheered. It was nuts. And it was never explained to me why this happened, why this was a part of the show, how it got over. But it was like, have you ever just been somewhere and you're like, this is wrong for the room, but I'm really glad I saw it. This, this shouldn't have happened here, but it's great. It shouldn't happen anywhere. Like it seems vaguely sexual and gross. Like forcing someone to chug a thing of beans, just eating them out of the, the <laughs> aluminum can. You know you get that flavor too. Oh yeah, and it's cold. Oh, I, I it was it haunts my memory to this day. I'm glad I really got to tell somebody about this. That it happened. It's real. The grave robber beans. Somebody's got to find grave robber for me. I'll buy their record right now. It's worth it for that. Hundred percent. I'm wondering if they're on streaming services. Like this is a band that's got to be on stream. I can't. Like, you know, like I, I, they, they I, definitely are on streaming services. I've got a feeling. How could they like, like what were they like thinking? This is going to go over really well with religious groups talking about Jesus as a zombie, dude. It, it, yeah. And I mean, like they meant it, and it was really aggressive in the way that they brought love and you know the stories of religion to us Wow! through their punk. That is like sound unheard. That's my new favorite band. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh. You don't have to hear them. I think you're going to, I think once you hear them, you'll know it's your new favorite band. <laughs> the oh, grave robber. That is so bizarre. So like, was it a Christian show or was it like a no. secular show? No, I think that the guy who owned the venue was like a little bit Christian and thought he should book Christian bands sometimes. Okay. Yeah. But like I hadn't I hadn't seen many I, I had never gone to a show there and seen a bunch of Christian bands. Like it was always just like hardcore bands. Um so seeing that was just like I was like, Am I dreaming? Is this real? What are we doing here? But everybody in the room kind of had the same feeling. And then like a few guys are like, We're gonna mosh to this shit, you know? <laughs> There's always those ignorant dudes at the hardcore shows that are like, no, nah, fuck it. I'm moshing right now and I'm going to punch the shit out. Let's just go to Grave Robber. Wow. So what was the difference? What was South Carolina like as a scene? Like, I, you know, I'm trying to think of some other bands that I know from South Carolina. I'm racking my brain. Dude, there's not many. They never get out of South Carolina. Yeah. They do really well in South Carolina, but it's like something happens where they don't break out. Like, I actually was surprised. All Get Out is a band from South Carolina that isn't that punk at all. But they were on the Buffalo show that Every Time I Die does. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm so pumped you guys are actually back out nationally touring again. You were doing it for a second, but nobody ever gets out of there. You get yeah. stuck in South Carolina. I think it's because like 95 drives through there weird and bands don't risk taking those shots out of there and they get comfortable in their scene and something happens. I don't know. The biggest bands out of South Carolina, I think, are like – Weird Christian bands, as we kind of go back to, the Bible Belt is strong. Yeah, like I've got, a, I know I've got a South Carolina hardcore compilation from like the early '90s, mid '90s, but like short of that, I'm I, I'm I'm racking my brain trying to think of bands from there. But like it's funny because like around there's bands coming out of almost every state that I can think of. But yeah, uh, but you, like you're saying, it must be. So what are some of the bands that you saw locally that you did enjoy? Um. God, I I mean, I worked with a lot of bands that were like smaller scale that n- nobody's going to know on here, but maybe it'll help them a little bit. Yeah, they're well, all, I mean, they've like, all quit them. Just to check out from there. Um, 
a band called Brigades. I worked with a lot. They were great. I think he's about to have a baby. Okay. Uh, a band called Forgetting Farah that was awesome. And my boy Jennings from that band does a lot of tour merchandising now. And actually, he like he was doing Warped Tour merch for a second, and then I think that's done. So he went on to do the uh, uh, the performance of the ballet. What's the winter ballet? The uh, Oh, the Nutcracker? Nutcracker? Yeah. Like the touring Russian Nutcracker. He does merch <laughs> for them. He's like, I make more money than I've ever made. Doing, yeah, I can imagine that'd be a little Nutcracker more profitable merch. than like, you know, asking Alexandra merch or something. Yeah. He's like, there's one shirt. He's like, yeah. uh, I remember going to work tour one year and there was just like, I think Attila was doing like $30,000 in t-shirts a day. Oh yeah. I did merch for my, my friends, uh, playing that band Alexis on fire. And when they played the Toronto date, like they were, they're huge in Canada. And so I was helping their, my friend who was doing their merch. And at one point I had no exaggeration, seven grand cash in my hands. Like, just like, it's crazy to feel how thick that is. Holy fuck. Like I was, I was, I'm never again in my life. Like fucked up has never come close to doing seven grand in merch. Like not even touching that. Um, when I did merch for Hootie and the Blowfish, it was like that too. I, I used to do that shit for them. And you would the money would be coming so fast because the lines were so long that you would just be stuffing your pockets like we'll count this shit in a minute but yeah, like we have yeah. to get through these people there are so many goddamn people what and like you know I, I didn't know this till recently but Hootie and the Blowfish used to do replacement covers oh I believe that 100% they were just getting drunk and playing in bars and five points and that's all people want to hear is yeah whatever's you know hot and let's cover it up yeah were they are they from South Carolina yeah Columbia so they're the biggest band we found it I think so. I think they're the biggest. Stretch Armstrong's from there too, but I don't think they're big. Stretch Armstrong's from there? I always thought they were from Florida. Yeah. That's wild. Okay. I, I think at least two of the members were from Columbia because one of them worked somewhere and I'm not going to out him. And we saw him all the time and it was awesome. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and wave. <laughs> Just being awkward, you know? Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Okay. Hey. So there are some. De- we, now we've There's hit on couple. some. Yeah. We've hit on some South Carolina stuff. We've hit on some yeah. bands and stuff. So when you got into wrestling, did you. Did you think it was going to be where it's at now? Like even two years ago, did you think this was where it was going to be? You know, because it feels like it's changed so much. I mean, kind of though, because it was like I was getting I was getting weird little videos over around that time and not like super over, but enough where they were getting share places. And like I could see that there was going to be this shift um, from sort of everything needing to go through TV to be really worth money to like yo, I can easily get to a national scale. There's nothing really stopping me. I don't need, you don't need the label anymore. You don't really need the company anymore to get mm-hmm. your stuff out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was sort of just like, um, you start looking at like, okay, wait, there's, there's a show that might have 200 people there and now they're streaming it and they're making real money on that. Hold, hold up. This is possible without having to go through a bigger company there's real shows that are selling money out. And I think as, as much as we have freedom now and as much as people are able to like with one click, watch a show, if they want to, you know, with one click, sign up and stream and, and pay attention to a show that like, yeah, this is, it's happened rapidly, but I think we were starting to see it, you know, probably around that time. I mean, you're probably on point. It's funny too, because like you know, I think you know earlier, earlier when you're talking about wrestling and seeing wrestling in a smaller venue, like seeing wrestling in front of 200 people, like indie wrestling has changed. Like that show in Hamilton when I saw you wrestle a couple weeks ago, like the energy in that room felt very different than the energy that would have been in the equivalent size wrestling show like five years ago, six years ago. Like it feels yeah. like it's like a different kind of fan 
maybe even at times. It definitely is. Like we've we've created a bigger like safety scenario for people who like normally would not choose to come to professional wrestling mm-hmm. because there are things associated with professional wrestling that would make them very uncomfortable or unsafe. You know what I mean? Like yeah. um it's it's diversified a lot and it's we've been able to kind of like extend it to people who may not have thought of that as their first choice of entertainment. And then they get there and they're like, Oh, hold on. Okay. This is pretty wild. Let's, let's get a little rowdy with it. But you still like, even in that audience, you still have kind of the, the old school timers who maybe watched it on Saturday afternoon who are just out to see a wrestling show. You know, they're not going to follow you on Twitter or buy your merch, but they just want to be entertained by a wrestling show. So you still have that, that mix of these people who have just kind of picked up on like, Hey, wrestling's kind of hip. Now we're going to go out. We're going to get a little rowdy and drink. And your traditional wrestling fan who are still coming out of the show and watching them coexist is like kind of fun and strange. Very, yeah, it's funny. Well, I had a meeting today with this guy, and he was saying the last wrestling show he went to was when ECW ran, uh, or like around here, like one of the last shows ECW did was in around Toronto, and how the whole crowd was like chanting homophobic slurs at one point and all this. And he was like, it's just like, is, he was just going on about how he didn't think wrestling, like, I don't know, I don't know if that's like really what I want to see. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have no idea how much it's changed. Like, yes, I'm sure there's, there's still that obviously, but at the same time, there's also just like such a, a shift that's happened in pro wrestling. Like it's almost like the most regressive culture that used to be there has been met by one of the most progressive cultures that exists in, in any pop culture yeah, super progressive. And you're almost getting like, and I'm glad, like you're almost getting fiscally punished if you're not progressive right mm-hmm. now. Like mm-hmm. if shows are not making listing that, you know, they're, they're safe for everyone or they're not going to tolerate hatred or bigotry or homophobia or misogyny or whatever it is, they're, they're missing out on crowds that could be coming in and, and by not being super inclusive. And it's like for the people who don't care about the show being inclusive and safe for everyone, they won't care anyway. Like they don't, they're fine. As long as they behave and sit down and just cheer and boo, we're good. Like we're good. But for the people that need to know that, okay, is this going to be a spot where I'm going to be all right? Yeah. It needs to be public and made informational. And we need to be reaching out to more people because live wrestling in the same way, like live music is once you see a live man, it's like, it's crazier. It's It's insane to be right next to it. Yeah. And if we get those people in the building, they become those lifelong patrons. Yeah. You know, a lot of them come back. I've never like taken somebody to a wrestling show and been like, this is, I could never do this again. Yeah. And it depends on the show, really. I mean, you've got to be careful with who you're bringing for the first time and where you're taking them to. And if you can get them to the right show and they can see, you know, how fun, how exciting, how you don't have to do anything. You can participate if you want. You do not have to participate. You can sit, you can get some snacks. We're making this easy for you. Do, do what you'd like. And enjoy it. Yeah, and I'm convinced like right now, somewhere in the world, there's a type of wrestling for everyone. Like it might not be the same type of wrestling for each and every person, but there's definitely a, one type of wrestling that's happening somewhere in the world that is designed to hit all the right buttons for you. Like yes. whatever those buttons are. There's so many buttons now. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be good at at least a few of them. You know, they're going to yeah. stick you with some buttons you've never had before. That's yeah. the, yeah. that's the improvisational art form part where you're going, Hey, we met an hour ago. Let's really figure this out. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Let's, like, let's put together a one act play real quick. Hang tight. We got, we got 10 minutes. Well, like, and that's the thing is like, you know, someone like yourself and, and Nick Gage, right? Like that, that should be something that doesn't make sense yet. Only in wrestling. It, 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 it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I I was thinking about it yesterday, and this is probably like a little too introspective, but I was thinking about it and I was like, people like that I talk shit, but people also like that 
I know I'm going to get hit in the face for it. Like, I, <laughs> I, I know I'm going to get my ass kicked, but I don't give a shit because I'm just going to keep, you know, talking this shit and, and being a little too rowdy. And that energy with Nick Gage to do that was like, I, yeah, you knew I was going to get fucked up, but like, could I survive it? Could I ba- maybe beat him? What a, what a weird, uh, I, who knows if five years ago he would have even agreed to that match. No offense to Nick at all, but yeah, like, yeah. it's it's a new era where like they were like, hold up, this guy probably you know maybe we wouldn't have had that thought a few years back, but now there seems to be demand and there are people coming that weren't coming before because this person is here and because he's you know representing in a certain way and it was uh, very cool to be in front of that crowd and and do a match like that. Yeah, no, it, it, it was it, like, that to me is a dream match, you know, like just like these impossible scenarios that you're like, what would it be like if these two people work together? And that's the brilliance of pro wrestling is that you have like people with completely, like not even it, seemingly different worldviews almost that are able to come together and, and draw a crowd in and, and, and communicate with this crowd through violence. Yeah. And no matter what you believe, like I've got to tuck my tail enough with you as another person in the ring whose life is on the line with me mm-hmm. to say like, okay, you might believe some dumb things or you might like think a way that I think is stupid, but tonight we are partners. This is our group project and we're going to kill this shit. Yeah. Like let's, let's do the best we can do when we're done. We can be done with each other. It's cool. But like, let's be professional. We'll keep each other alive and go a little wild, you know? Well, like, and I'm not obviously necessarily talking about, uh, you know, Nick Gage or anyone, but like specifically, I mean, but like, are there times where you're like in that locker room, you're like, this person and I actively do not get along at all. Oh, definitely. And you still got to go out there and do it. You got to do it a hundred percent. And like, you sort of just like know your steps, you know, like, you know, your level of professionalism, like the there's something really fascinating to me and this is like so expose, but you've, you've done some expose. Mm -hmm. There's something really fascinating about watching other people call matches together that I know are, are not typically collaborative. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And seeing the way they dance around each other and seeing the way they figure that out. It's like, that's more magic to me than actually watching the match. When the match turns on, these guys are always professionals, girls, guys, whatever. They're always professionals and they're turning it on. You know, I, I can't think of any direct instances the last time where I've seen anybody really like, there'd be a super shoot incident that wasn't something booked out. So like, it's a constant case of professionalism and seeing, okay, well, I'm not going to do that because of my character. I'm not going to do this because of this, or I'm over at this promotion. I have this belt. I can't do that. Or I can't be put in that compromised position. You see all these arguments, you see these things happening, you see the sort of politicking around it. And then you see it play out and you go, it's flawless. What a flawless performance. What super, professionals of their craft that just created a magical moment that it was a story that didn't exist before they did it. And they just did it on the fly or figured it out in 10 or 15 minutes and they made a beautiful story. Yeah, no, I find, I find it fascinating, especially like, you know, years later going back and knowing the stories about people that hated each other and trying to watch the match and seeing like, yeah, like I couldn't imagine Tupac and Biggie walking out together and doing it, doing like a a song at the height of the beef. Yet this happens in wrestling. Well, I mean, I think what's awesome is it just happened with Mayweather and McGregor who were sharing that jet doing the kayfabe tour de force. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that was what a performance boys. Yep. It slipped into other industries. They're, they're all getting kayfabe now. Well, that's why I think wrestling is the most honest thing in the world because it's the only thing that will admit what it is out of the gate. Like everything else is wrestling, but it pretends it's not. Yeah. And that's, there's a fun to that now because like, we know, you know, 
And now how do we trick you out of that again? Like, how do we, we know, you know, and we know you're smart and we know you pay attention. How do we fuck with you a little bit? And they love that though. That's what they're really paying for is those little twinges of hold the fuck up. Hold up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like, yeah, like that's a hundred percent as a fan. That's when I'm well, like, you know, or when you get caught up, like when even like once again, that come, keeps coming back to that four way, but that four way match was one of my favorite matches I've seen because it was so different. And I was watching with my kids and just watching the way they get engaged in it, with it. But like you, you guys obviously aren't trying to go out there and teach us that or, or show us a UWFI match where you guys are dropping each other on no, head. Yeah. But at the same time, like I was caught up in it. I was excited, but it was real. It was my, my reality was that ring and, and what you were doing in that ring and through the art, you know, like draw us in. And it doesn't matter that it's not like it was in like 1950, as far as the fans relationship to it. Now it's, it's something different. Right. But like that goes right to the question of people asking like, what is valid pro wrestling too? Right. Because to me, it does go back to the fifties because there's like, there's a real like, Buster Keaton, Three Stooges, almost quality to some of the <laughs> physical performing that you're figuring out there, and so like taking influences from weird stuff like that and putting it into these scenarios where you're still mixing in like true professional wrestling, and we are all doing things very safely and effectively, where we are protected and not going to die, but also adding in that element of just like we've seen other performers in other fields do similar things that have worked in a manner you know, that may have been on television or may have been in a movie, but it fits in here and it works in front of this live crowd. And that's like a really cool, satisfying feeling to take the entertainment forms across each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it's, and it's also like, you know, you can do that. Like it's the, it's such a unique form of entertainment because there's the physicality, there's the risk, but there's also, yeah, the artistry where you can make references to all sorts of things and bring it in. It can be music can be brought in, art can be brought in, film can be brought in. It all, it's like a, a completely literal different canvas to paint on. Yeah, there's no there's no limits to what pro wrestling actually is. It's it's just it's got some rules there, and you can choose to enforce them or you can choose to not enforce them. And if you want to have weird celebrity matches, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. You know, Cindy Lauper sold a lot of rock and roll tickets. You know, people thought that was crazy, but that's even on the softer end. Yeah, well, and and Nick Gage versus David Arquette, something that a lot of people have asked me about that have never asked me about wrestling before that. You know, like they were just like, "What? What's this? <laughs> like, why is what? Yeah, what? Why is Nick? Why is not why? Why is Arquette even in a wrestling? What the fuck has happened? Why is he bleeding from his neck? Like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, dude. And then like. To imagine people who are like tuning into TMZ and tuning into these little like blog sites, seeing the face of Nick Gage holding a, a fucking light tube and David Arquette's just bleeding out in the ring. And, and how do you explain that? Like that's yeah. – they're going, what the fuck? And, they, and then you go, yeah, and um, you can stream it here and then if you want it – they're coming back in a month. So if you want to buy a ticket, you can come watch it live. What? Well, yeah, and in North what? America, so much of our like conception of wrestling has been dictated by like the McDonald's of pro wrestling. Like, obviously, it's incredibly successful, but it's it's the McDonald's. Like, it's not offering the most niche product or nuanced product. It's offering the broadest yeah. product possible. So, like, I think that it's, was an eye opening moment. And it's for, a very standard menu. Very uh, standard menu. A lot of times. A very standard and, menu. At you times. know, it's like 
it, but you know, it does the same thing that McDonald's kind of does too, which is like, well, I mean, I guess for a few months we can put bacon and barbecue sauce on this <laughs> thing and call it a cowboy. And then like you run that for two months and you're like, fuck it. We're going back to the McRib. Like <laughs> yeah. there are things you can just keep bringing out for the sake of nostalgia that work and you know, they work, but like, are we, are we going to see a drop off of value eventually of bringing the McRib back for the hundredth time yeah. after he put his hat and jacket and boots in the ring and walked away in Orlando? <laughs> Uh, do you think like as far as like the actual business itself that it's it's changed like do you have any interest in in signing to a bigger company or do you like the idea that like you know there's this independent world in wrestling now where you know it's not like independent by by force it's now independent by choice yeah um i might but here's the thing like this is the way i think of it i think Pro wrestling's had a bad rap for a long time, and I think there's a lot of people who don't watch wrestling and aren't even aware of anything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the way we promote wrestling now to the public is really inducive of bringing new people in. Um, we see a lot of the same, like, just repetitive faces on posters. It's hard to find dates sometimes. We constantly shared a Twitter within the same bubble. We shared a Facebook within the same bubble. We're sharing yeah. to the same groups. It's it's uh, cannibalistic because we know what's worked for us and we know who comes to us and we just keep using them, but we're not gathering the new people that are out there. And it's like, if we can market wrestling in a way that is not saying not marketed as wrestling because it is, but marketed in a way that is easier for people to obtain the information and know that it's happening. Like, Hey, this is happening 20 minutes down the road from you. Oh, I had no idea. Well, yeah, cause you're not in this wrestling Facebook group and you're not on Twitter, checking wrestling links and following professional wrestlers. Of course you didn't know that show was happening. And the flyer up in town was 30, 30 white dudes with beards with their face on a poster and weird small font. I'm not paying attention to that. If I'm walking down the street, there's a way to get these people one of the one of the best fest wrestling shows that ever happened. He didn't even put any faces on the poster. He put uh, wild ass party wrestling, cheap beer, um, <laughs> come have fun or something with the big date and time and venue, and a bunch of crazy weird college bros and strange people showed up. And we weren't banking on the fact that like, oh, you you should know my indie pedigree. I've won this championship and I had a Ring of Honor tryout and I'm a big deal in this zip code. Like, go fuck off, tuck that fucking tail and. Put some info on the poster and let's really get people in to see what this is. Because whatever we're doing is working for who we have, but there's a ton of people we don't. So the goal going forward is like, why can't this card that I'm looking at that's filling up a 300-seat venue fill 4,000? We're in a city of of 2 million people. Why can't we put 4,000 of them in a fucking building? Because they have no idea what's going on. If we can keep that in that independent spirit and figure that out for ourselves and not need, I think cable's dead. Um, We're all streaming shit now anyway. So let's, let's look at what we're doing on the ground and how we're getting these people in and build it independent big. If we can use outside media to do that and other people to do that and bring people in from outside of our world to, confirm and validate kind of, Hey guys, you, you should also check this out. Like that David Arquette situation is a great opportunity for people to be like, I never knew wrestling could, could be this. Let's get more people out to these shows. You 100%. Know? No, and, and, and you're right. Like, I think it's also the way that wrestling's presented. It's like wrestling is the in-ring product is amazing. And the in-ring product, like, you know, with when I'm bringing my kids or, you know, to the shows, like when they're watching the live wrestling, that's, 
that's that's all they love it but it's the way that you're you're right like the way that wrestling is presented to people it's very much catering to the same same group of people all the time yeah we're cutting niches into niches and it's not good for business no no and yeah and it's it's such a it's such an amazing thing to experience live that it, people all deserve to be there so yeah let's bring them all in like that's honestly like I've always been like we should music there's just so many ways wrestling cuts through in a way that that nothing else does like there's no genre of music that cuts through and and hits as many people as wrestling does so why can't wrestling be the biggest thing going Yeah it can be it 100% can be Do you, have you heard of Time Bomb Pro in North Dakota No Okay so Time Bomb Pro this guy he's Ricky Fuji on Twitter he's great um, he runs shows in North Dakota, which is an 84% red voting state, super yeah. conservative state. Yeah. And he lives in, I think he lives in Fargo or Grand Forks. It doesn't matter. He runs these shows in like record shops and weird bars that are these no ring underground shows with punk bands and North Dakota packs it out. And people that like, they just knew something was going on in town. And when you're in a town like North Dakota, when something's going on, like we should go check it out. So here's me in Fargo, North Dakota, in front of a bunch of people packed into this weird music venue, having the gay twink gauntlet. <laughs> Five twinks are coming out. Twinks are young, young gay men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they run out. I'm attacking them. We're having this big match. And then I'm cutting a promo at the end about, like, we have to stop segregating ourselves within wrestling because I knew it would be streamed. But, like, doing that in front of that weird Fargo crowd was insane. <laughs> They were like, we've never even seen wrestling before. Like a, a woman came up to me, Matt Tremont and or inviter in the main event doing a full on death match. <laughs> yeah. And this woman show. goes, she goes, how many capsules of blood are they going to use? And I go, those are not castles, ma'am. <laughs> she goes, they're just bleeding on the floor. This is crazy. I was like, it is crazy. It's crazy. Go take a look. It's crazy. And it's so awesome now that like, you know, at one time it was like you had to go to a death match show or you had to go to like this. Now it's like you got cards where there's, you know, a twink gauntlet and then there's a, a death match on the same bill. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can have all the styles. I think GCW is pretty good about that. They Definitely. really like kind of randomize the card to make sure there's something for everybody in there. And that's exciting because it's like. I get to go out there and do my stuff and know that like, there's so much different stuff on the card. Everything's going to hit because it's hitting at the right time in a different way. Very much. So this has been, I think this has been incredible. Um, and would you come back at some point and do a part two? Yeah, for sure. I like talking. I feel like we have a lot of ground to cover still. Oh my God. I'm, yeah. I'm fully committed. We've just scratched the surface, but, uh, we will do part two, hopefully next time in person. Oh, I, I would prefer that. I think it's easier when we can look at each other's eyes and feel the truth and honesty. Well, definitely. <laughs> well, no, then you don't want to, you don't want to do it in person. Then you'll just see my shifty eyes darting across. Whoa, the let's possibly. get, we can get shifty. You can get shifty about stuff. <laughs> it is. We'll know. Well, if we do it in Florida, it's, we have to. Oh man. I'll be down here for a minute at least. <laughs> Thank you, Effie, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Effie's going to be back at some point for a part two. Maybe we'll do another live punk wrestling connection uh, when we're allowed to do live things again. Because uh, right now, it wouldn't really work. As with everything else right now, wrestling isn't really happening. So it's important, if you can, and you're a fan of wrestling and wrestlers, to support them in whichever way you can. 
be it buying their merch, uh, checking them out on other platforms. Effie's doing some incredibly fun Twitch streaming right now. And I know you're like, oh, well, uh, you know, how fun could that be? Trust me, Effie makes it awesome. Uh, so check that out. Check out Effie's merch stores. Uh, I think Effie has a pro wrestling tea store. If not, he's on all sorts of social media. Find him, follow him on social media. It's a good follow anyway. And check out ways that you can support him and, and stuff he works for, companies he works for, GCW, things like that. Any of these companies, if you can, you know, now's the time to contribute to the stuff that you uh, you want to see sticking around after this is all said and done. And as I said, wrestling is a great way to escape. So check out some of Effie's matches and check out some of the unbelievable other things that have happened that we talked about there. Nick Gage, uh, GCW as a company, they've come up on the show a few times over the years, but uh, they've done a lot of stuff. And this year during Mania Week, they had um, this whole collective thing planned. And hopefully, I don't know, hopefully they figure out some way to reschedule all this stuff. Um, because they had some really, really awesome looking events this year. So support whenever you can. And going forward, throughout the week, we're going to have more guests. Uh, we're going to have starting, I think, I think I'm probably going to have to try to come out like tomorrow or the next day, David Starr. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with David Starr, David Starr is legitimately one of the best wrestlers in the world, you know, for a, a lot of people's money. Um, mine, mine included. He's also, though, an incredibly outspoken labor activist who's working very hard, very diligently to reform labor practices in wrestling. He's a very controversial figure for some people, um, for a lot of people, uh, but he's also someone that has really sparked a lot of conversation and a lot of positive conversation and and also put a lot of that conversation into action. And he is someone who's also very controversial to some people as well, and we get into a lot of it next week on the show. This is a really interesting talk with a very fascinating person in wrestling. And then, of course, coming on Friday, we have Amy Dumas, a.k.a. Lita. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this uh, at the end of the week. Uh, I'm excited for this whole week. Uh, David Starr, uh, Amy, this, this, is a, this is why I do this podcast. This is why I do it, so I can talk about wrestling and force my brother to hear wrestling stuff. Um, but that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And uh, go out there and sign your organ donor cards. Stay inside and stay safe. And uh, go and make your own culture. And I will see you next episode for the Punk Wrestling Connection 2020 week. I just branded it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.